And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is the Hump Day edition. That means Danny Ratliff will be joining me this morning talking about you can't retire. Just forget about it. It's not even worth it. <laughs> but we'll get into that this morning. A uh, couple of interesting things, of course. We'll get into the CPI report uh, here in just a second. Talk about the market's reaction, all those type of things. But, you know, again, you know, what was interesting here over the last really kind of 24 hours is that, you know, we've been talking about this need for a correction. And, you know, that came pretty fast and furious yesterday. Um, but most importantly, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you again this morning, today is Valentine's Day. Do not use Google search. Did you see my tweet this morning? No. Okay, you didn't? No. Okay, so. One of many, I'm oh, sure. Oh, well, I put out a few this morning yeah. on Twitter, but on Twitter this morning, I put out a picture of the United States and it had the most search Valentine's Day items by every state. <laughs> on Google. <laughs> Do not use Google to search for advertising because in Texas, it's plus size lingerie. Really? Yeah. They say everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. I'd buy, it's like, look, there's several things you don't buy your spouse on Christmas, birthdays, or Valentine's Day. Anything related to housework, workout, diet gear, <laughs> or clothes. Never buy your wife clothes. If you get the size wrong, you're toast. So just, just keep it simple. Just hang on to the receipt. Kroger's, Parking lot, yeah. H-E-B, they have all the accoutrements you need, flowers, get you taken care of, but don't forget today is Valentine's Day. And uh, so- And it my, was nice knowing you. Right, yeah, no, and, and my, look, my wife, she went, she went above and beyond, Yeah. right? She uh, made reservations for us at a very nice restaurant tonight at 6.30. Nice. Who eats dinner at 6.30 at my age? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> It's a little late for you. <laughs> right. I mean, I've got to be in bed by 8.30, o'clock. I mean, you know. So I told this morning, I was like, 6.30, really? <laughs> but anyway, so I will, be, I will be probably a little bit sleepy in little, the morning. A little we'll food coma hangover tomorrow. A <laughs> little food coma hangover in the morning. But anyway, look, happy Valentine's Day to everybody. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day. Um, all right, so a couple of things, uh, like I said this morning. Let's talk a little bit about CPI yesterday. So CPI came in a little bit hotter than expected yesterday. And of course, that kind of shocked the markets a bit. Yields popped up. Uh, we had talked about Treasury yields had gotten very, very overbought um, back in that kind of when, when yields fell from uh, you know, from over, you know, by 5 percentage, you know, below 4, that rundown in the last part of, of last year got yields to be very overbought. We've been talking about this kind of correction that we needed in yields to have another buying opportunity to add to fixed income. We got that yesterday. Um, that jump in yields got us back up to our target range, four and a quarter, four and a half. So somewhere in there is going to be a good position to start buying bonds. And again, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the newsletter this weekend. But there's a correlation between interest rates, inflation, and economic growth, and those are all centering around 3% right now. So, so bonds are undervalued relative to where we're going to be on inflation and economic growth later this year. 
Um, but beyond that, the, the issue with inflation yesterday was a bit of an anomaly. It was primarily housed. There were, there were some things that ticked up um, over the last month, you know, medical services, those type of things. But those are much smaller components of the overall CPI index. The big jump came in homeowners equivalent rent. That's about 40%-ish of the overall calculation of CPI. There's a big divergence between homeowners equivalent rent, which is in theory, it's a survey that says, Brent, what do you think that you could rent? If you, you know, you live in your house right now. So this is, I'm a homeowner, right? So Brent's a homeowner. So in theory, it's a survey that says, Brent, what do you think you could rent your house for right now? You know, if you want to rent your house, well, look, everything's doing great right now. The markets are up, the economy's great. You know, we're, we're having just, you know, a massive exuberance. And so everybody feels better about things. So that survey comes back, it's like, ah, well, I can rent it for this. So we saw a big uptick in homeowners equivalent rent, but actual rents of, of residences is declining. So there's a big divergence. Now that can happen, but we've never had one this big kind of on record for since like 1990s, right? It's been a very big divergence. That's gonna reverse itself probably in the next month or so, that'll get corrected. So again, a bit of an anomaly yesterday that kind of spooked the markets across the board. Um, and here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. So that we've been talking about for the last several days that we were due for a correction. Now, again, we, as we said, you know, corrections aren't crashes, right? We don't have to worry about that. Um, but we got a, a correction right down to the 20-day moving average yesterday, bounced off of that right in the close. We had a little bit of buying coming in right at the close yesterday, so that was good. This morning, futures are pointing higher. So again, these corrections and this bullish trend can continue to be very, very short-lived. So you don't, it doesn't give you a lot of opportunity to put capital to work. But we did get that. We did work off some of that overbought condition. Now, the only risk is, is we're very close to triggering a sell signal again at a fairly high level. So again, a bounce that now fails below the recent high, turns lower, takes out the 20-day moving average. That's going to be your signal that we're in for a bigger correction. If the markets can recover, go to new highs, then this bullish trend is still intact. So not much to worry about. So again, the point here is not to panic over anything. Yesterday was a, you know, a, a much needed correction. We've talked about that for a while. You're going to get one. Corrections tend to be very short-lived. This is very, very similar to what we saw back in early, kind of late January. We had that very same similar kind of, of, of drop in, in the markets following the FOMC meeting. And then next day rallied right back up and took off again. So again, that's kind of the, the point of where we are right now. This is a very similar set up to what we saw back at the FOMC meeting. And so if we start to see this market turn back up today, uh, right now implied open on the S&P is up about 28 points. So that's not going to recover what we lost yesterday, but it's a good start. If we can get back to a new high, that keeps this bullish trend intact for now, just keeps you long equity. So again, nothing to really worry about. If we do fail, and then take out that 20-day moving average. Then we're going to start talking about the 50-day moving average, potentially retracement back down lower. We have a very big deviation right now between the, uh, the S&P itself and this 200-day moving average. So this, this deviation is one of the larger that we've had on record as of late. I don't know why my screen is not working this morning. Um, but this, this deviation is, is very large. In fact, we have to go back for a, a good bit here to see a relative deviation 
of this magnitude, and that was just before that July correction that we had last year. So again, these deviations from the 200-day moving average, they can exist, um, but the problem is, is when you have such a big deviation from these longer term moving averages, you're going to get a correction at some point. And that's what I'm saying is that later this year, we're likely going to see a correction that is somewhere between 5 and 10%, somewhere along the way. And that'll be that reversal. Now, that's not likely going to be today or tomorrow or next week. But again, that is coming. As long as we can maintain this bullish trajectory, that's fine. But we are very long in the tooth on this trend and the internal breadth of the market, the, the number of stocks above their 10, their 20, their 50, their 100, 200 day moving averages are continuing to decline. So we have this negative divergence between stocks participating in this rally and the actual market itself. And those, are, are, those typically tend to be unsustainable and typically lead to bigger corrections. So again, while we're still in this bullish trend, everything is fine but we are at a point that we are going to get a bigger correction at some point over the next few months. So just something to think about. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff on the other side of the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome to the show this morning. St. Valentine. Of course, I was saying that uh, Valentine's Day is today. Uh, Danny, if you, uh, I know you probably can't say what you've done so far because Michelle's probably just getting up and going this morning. So, But have, have you prepared for Valentine's Day today? No. Not at all? No. Okay, Kroger's, your best friend. No. <laughs> we have a deal. Right. And... Um, you know Michelle well enough. You know yes, she's, I know very, she's well. very sensible. Yeah, yeah. And um, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. Oh, so you are you are you are joining the thousands upon thousands of other young millennials that are now tuning out of social media on Valentine's Day in an act of self love. Uh, I feel like they're joining me. We've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> so no, but but you know you you kind of look at. And you say, this is crazy. I mean, I'm going to go buy flowers that I can buy for 10 bucks any other day of the week yep. for a hundred something dollars. Sure. No way. Um, so got to support the economy. We, yeah, we have a deal though. <laughs> I mean, she gets flowers often, um, but like we don't go nuts. Right, right. And I'm not going to go buy her a bear or chocolates or something that she really doesn't want and need. And so, no, we, we don't. Now we will with the kids a little bit, you know, like she does small things for them. Um, and she allows them, you know, they do stuff yeah. at school. We make it fun for them. But for the two of us, I mean... Yeah. Can, can I insert a disclaimer here? Because if you're listening to Danny right now, this is an agreement they've had that they've this verbally... This is an agreement, yes. This is an agreement. I highly advise you not to go home today and try to <laughs> invoke this on your wife. Honey, we're not going to celebrate celebrate Valentine's Day today. <laughs> I think this was written into their vows. Yeah, I'm pretty we, sure. We have, we have some, yeah, we, we have some pretty good Yeah, no, I think, I think, it's, I, I think, I think the agreement is well. And uh, my wife and I are the same way. We really don't you know, do anything on Valentine's Day other than, you know, go on a date. That's yeah. our thing. We go on a date together. We will cook with the kids is what we do. Yeah. And so make it, let them like typically they, they cook, they can serve. They think it's fun, right? Yeah. But we don't, I'm not going to go spend a bunch of money at a restaurant and yeah, deal with the mess and the crowds and everything else. So don't yeah. disagree. So, uh, Brent always puts little notes on my, uh, my 
note screen in the morning, and this one was uh, roses are red, violets are blue. St. Valentine. I was beaten with clubs, beheaded, buried under the cover of darkness, disinterred by my followers, and you commemorate my martyrdom by sending each other chocolates. <laughs> so... <laughs> There, there's Brits. It, it, there's Brits. Love. Yes, there's Brits. Two cents on the day of love. <laughs> so, gentlemen, but if, you, if, you but, get, if you if you if you're given a hard time, Brent, you need to post that link so somebody else can use that in their defense. Like, hey, oh, okay. you really don't want to celebrate this yeah. day. Yeah. And as I was saying, I've, I've I've put on Google this on Twitter this morning. Do not search Google for for gift ideas. <laughs> oh, is it bad? Oh yeah, it's like uh, in Texas, plus size lingerie. Highly advise you not do that. Plus size lingerie. That's the biggest Google search in Texas. In Texas, plus size lingerie. For Valentine's. Yeah. People are asking for that or looking for that. They're looking looking for for that. Wow. They're they're looking they're they're looking to be suicided is what they're looking for. Looking up in all the wrong places. (laughs) Whatever you do, if you're buying that kind of stuff, make sure you go too small. Exactly. (laughs) Oh honey, I don't know. That's weird. But these things must have shrunk. Always goes. I could have sworn you were a size four. Exactly. Oh man! Always. No, but but you know you see so many people. I, I watch the kids; they get a kick out of it, and they're they're having fun with friends. But um, man, just what a racket! Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. All right. Uh, let's, Thank you, Hallmark. We have uh, we have yeah, but it is interesting. Uh, a lot of kids are are uh, going. They're kind of ghosting Valentine's, right? So they're getting off social media yeah. for the day. They're just staying out of it altogether. So. Listen, I don't think love is a bad thing or showing somebody that you care for them. I think that's fantastic. I think, though, we should be doing that all the time and not just one day of the 365. year. 365. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. Relationships will be much better if you do mm-hmm. that. Acts of love are easy. Um, okay. So let's talk about retiring. Um, it's interesting. Older investors think they're ready to retire. Advisors disagree. And, and it's kind of an interesting article because I wrote an article uh, last Friday it's on the website, so if you and we actually went through this on on the show. But um, if you go to the website, it's called "Older Investors Are Piling Into Equities." Is it a good idea? And what we're seeing is a lot of equities, a lot of individuals. They're approaching retirement, and they're putting a tremendous amount of money into equities to try to play catch up for retirement. And Brett, can you share this chart for me? Uh, this was a chart that uh, we showed in that article, and. This was a. There, these surveys are out. Danny and I go through these surveys with you all the time. But this was a survey that was out on CNBC, and they ask you know adults from their twenties into their seventies um, how much do you think you need to save up for retirement. And so you know twenty year olds are saying oh, I need one point two million for retirement, and you know thirties are one point four. The average was one point six million that people needed for retirement. And that's what they thought they would need to have saved up. The problem was, <laughs> is that even people in their 70s who've had an entire life to save up their money only had about $113,000 saved up, and they need $950,000 for retirement. So the, the problem is always the case. And, and I was actually doing a, a podcast yesterday, um, and th- this was the question, you know, about saving up for retirement and those type of things is, is that... We have the best of intentions, and you know. But when you're in your 20s, Danny will remember this, right? I remember being in my 20s. But you know, when you're in your 20s and even in your early 30s, you're barely making ends meet. You're just making enough money, and and of course, you talk about inflation and things today. It's even tougher. But you know, you're just barely making ends meet. You're not. You don't have a lot of extra cash flow to be socking into investments. 
And then you get married, you have kids, you've got a house, you've got school, you've got all this other stuff going on. You're still not, and you got to pay for college, whatever you're going to do. So you're still not saving money. So for most people, and and you know we do we do seminars all the time. We do you know type you know different types of events, and um, I always ask people. I always say, so you know, you know, how old are you now? You know, on average, and and by large, by the time you get interested in money, you're probably in your forties. Most people don't get serious about saving until they're in their fifties. So if you're retired at sixty five. You've got like 15 years to get this whole thing done. And so, you know, the important part about this is understanding valuations when you start, because if you start a 15 year life cycle uh, to save for retirement, you know, you better be in a period where you have the potential to grow assets. And, and, a, and a good example of this is, you know, if you were 45 years old in 1999, by the time you actually made any money in the market, you were near 60 because that how that's how long it took for the S&P to go from where it was in 2000 and to finally break above that level again in 2015 on a nominal basis. So, well, that's assuming that somebody wasn't continuously putting money in, right? Somebody at 45 would have used that to their advantage as well because they were likely contributing, getting matching contributions to their 401k, putting funds in other areas. So that volatility sounds, can be it, your friend. It, it can be, right. If people actually did that, but a good again, when you go look at the average savings in 401k plans, if you look at the average balances in 401ks, look the average investment saved up by an oh, individual. It's, so it's, yeah, it's awful. It's terrible, right? Which which just goes to tell you that that you know when you go through a secular bear market like we saw in the dot com crash, people got out of the market. They never came back. They were like, I'm done. I lost half my money in my 401k. Screw that. I'm not doing that anymore. After the financial crisis, Danny, how many people do you have come to you that are still not in the market? Oh, a ton. I mean, all the way until a couple of years ago. I mean, yeah. we don't get those calls as much anymore, but we were getting a ton of those calls saying, hey, I got out. I've been a terrible investor. I never got back in, um, sold at the bottom or sold before. Mm -hmm. But that, that's the key, right? So many people want to know. They're like, oh, well, you guys need to be able to hit, you know, we need to be able to get out everything out at the right time and get right back in at the right time. But I've never met anybody who's done exactly that. Right. Right. I know a lot of people got out before or most people who got out after and, and then, then never, never got back. back in. Exactly. And that, and that, and that, and Danny, to, to Danny's point, he's absolutely right. You know, these long secular bear market periods like the two thousand, like early 2000 are great opportunities to make money and you can do very well. And people did very well, but on average, most people didn't. And the stats prove that, right? If you, so if you're 70 years old, right? You know, and that means you went through the entire bull market of the 80s and the 90s, which was 15% annualized. You went through the dot-com crash. Then you had the rally from 2002 to 2007. So you had another big bull market. And then you've had the biggest bull market on record going from 2009 to present. And you only have $113,000 saved up. That's the problem. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, a lot of people, once we see any type of significant volatility or we get into a recessionary period, mm -hmm. what do we do? We stop contributing. All right. Right. So number one, you've probably moved the portfolio and said, hey, you know what? I can't take anymore. This has been my livelihood. I've got all the funds I have saved. And it's human nature. I get it. It's flight or fight. Most people flight. Right. They say, screw it. We're going to sell it. We're getting out. We're moving. Right. And the problem is then we stop our contributions to any type of investments or plans, which and we wait. What do we wait for? We wait for things to feel better. Right. When do things feel better? When the economy's improved. 
when the market's improved. And so what at this point are we doing? Now we're buying into a much yeah. you know, higher market. Now, granted, I'm not saying throw everything in, but I think this is an important lesson in the sense of you want to have some cash right. at different times, especially in times when we, there could be some volatility in the horizon. But the other thing is, is that just in general, when we stop those contributions, yep. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. And they're like, hey, I'm not going to contribute. This market's terrible. I'm like, right. no, 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 no. This we we really want to make sure you're maxing those things. Well, out. and this and what this all comes down to is all about psychology. Yeah, right. As oh, investors, as, as investors, we do everything backwards. You know, we should be buying when things are terrible. We should be selling when things are great. Look, everything's great right now. What well, goes against human nature? <laughs> well, it does, it does. And and you know, right now it's a greed factor. A greed factor, right? Markets are at five thousand. I got to get in. I'm missing out. And and again, you know, this was the interesting thing about our business is that you know until you know. Going back a couple of years, people were showing up going, I've been out of the market for a decade and this market just keeps going up. I've got to get in now. Yeah. Really? <laughs> now we're back to the second highest levels of valuation in history and you want to get in now? You know, that's that's the challenge. So so the, the point is, and look, um, you know, as investors and as individuals, we've really got to be aware of our psychology and, and making mistakes. But, you know, this was the setup. I want to come back and talk about this article about older investors think that they're ready to retire. And a lot of advisors disagree and we'll explain to you why. Well, part of it is not enough money, but we'll come back yeah. and talk about the rest of it with Danny right after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. All right, so older investors think they're ready to retire. Advisors disagree. And of course, uh, of course, advisors disagree. <laughs> That's our job. <laughs> never gonna tell you the truth no i'm just teasing <laughs> whoa, whoa 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 no i'm just i'm just joking and this is I'm why just lance does not do financial plans <laughs> <laughs> no it, it is an interesting kind of a study financial advisors have significantly different perceptions of their clients retirement readiness than do the clients themselves that's not really surprising though i mean you know i i run into you know, a lot of people, they live on ten or $15,000 a month, you know, whatever it is. And they go, well, yeah, but when I retire, I can retire on 2500 bucks a month. I was like, no, you're not. You know, you're, yeah. you're never. No, that's not you're, happening. You're, you know, you know and, and I'm looking at the wife in the background, and she's like. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, we're just, you know, we're going to cut everything down. We're not going to travel. I was like, no, that's not going to work. Um, you know, but that's, that's kind of part of it. And this is why financial planning is such an, an important thing is to, you know, put together realistic perspectives and I even and personally I even disagree with a lot of financial planning that says you'll live on 80% of your income in retirement you know when I do my personal financial planning I'm at 110% of my earned income because I want to make sure there's a buffer because of higher medical costs my wife's going to want to travel more you know whatever it is so you know I start looking I, I kind of ramp things up and I exclude social security when I do my own analysis yeah because if I get Social Security, great. That's a that's a bonus. But if I can if I can make sure that I'm prepared financially on my own, then everything else is great. Oh man! Right? 
So I can't wait for all the conversations later today about Social Security. I don't know. That's it. No, I, no. This is just me. This is the way I do it, right? So don't, don't, don't get on. Danny and he about still this. can't retire, folks. I mean, you know, look, look at this. Yeah. So hey, so so I, I get everything that you're saying. I think yeah. that's really I just, smart. I you just, need to look I at just it many the, yeah. different ways. Right. But right. I think the, you know, going back to the survey, even going back to your chart a bit ago. Yeah. You know, I think people see these big numbers and it's so intimidating, right? People see this big number mm-hmm. and they're like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to ever save that? I can't even save. You know, hundred dollars a month. Right. I'm just trying to make make well, ends meet. This is why we see so many people speculating in the markets, trying to make up the. Difference. Well, that's right. They make they try to make that up. They make up for lost time, trying to become more aggressive than what they likely should. And I think that's really problematic as well. But the survey was from um, All Spring Global Investments Annual Retirement Survey. They said nearly two thirds of retirees and near retirees consider themselves ready for retirement, but yet forty percent of advisors uh, said their clients weren't ready. And this is kind of interesting, I think. No, and no, so, uh, no. According to this, it says forty percent of the advisors said the clients were ready, so sixty percent said they weren't. There you go. Right. Yeah. So am I, right. am I reading that? Correctly? No, no. You you read that right. Uh, okay. It's just an interesting way for them to put that. Um. So, if you have sixty percent of those advisors saying they're not ready, now number one, how well do they know their clients? Right. Number two, they're basing this off of simple stuff, like, and I, and I say simple. I only say simple because it's stuff we do every day. And most people are not probably prepared to or understand Social Security, Medicare, um, small things like that as well as they should. And that's why we're employed and we do what we do. Now, there's many also, I think, advisors who don't know that either. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really, really very talented, extremely smart advisors out there. But there's also a whole lot that are salesmen and that don't understand Medicare that don't understand Social Security, that don't understand taxes, that don't understand how all of these things fit together. And so if they don't understand it, I'm not real sure how they're going to be able to know, you know, feel like somebody else does. And granted, I would say that there's a lot of people that don't know these things well enough. Um, There's not enough education surrounding it. There's not enough advisors that talk about it on a regular basis. So I think that's really difficult. And it's maybe a little bit unfair statement. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I, I think, you know, some of the, we, we do, you mentioned webinars, seminars that we do. Some of our most attended uh, webinars are Medicare, Social Security. I mean, basic stuff, not about the investments, but about the, you know, how do I file? How do I do this? How do I keep more money in my pocket? And I think that's only going to become more prevalent as, you know, things change. We, we potentially revert back to the old tax code. But, you know, they interviewed 1,515 people. Um, the sample comprised of 752 near retirees. So average age of 61, 763 retirees, average age of 70 and 320 advisors with at least 5 million in assets under management. So if you're interviewing also, my other thought, Lance, is that if you're interviewing somebody that's managing 5 million, now we, they, this is the, the bottom, they have to have at least 5 million. They're either very young in the business, so they may not know it. Or they don't have a lot of experience, or just haven't been able to grow their business well. So they may not know the things they need to know. Right. And I thought that was interesting, actually, because if you, uh, I'm actually re- looking at the survey right now. Um, here, Brent, let me uh, let me move this over here real quick because there was kind of some interesting uh, information on this, and I thought this was really kind of interesting, which is. Uh, this section on uh, Brent, this section on with the little six little dots. Um, 
this is a section on Social Security, Medicare, and, and Medicaid, and it's the what advisors think that their clients know about Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare, which is which I think is interesting because we do see a lot of individuals that are approaching retirement that make mistakes with Social Security distributions when they claim Social Security, the, you know, the uh, you know spousal claims, those type of things. Um, and you know what this thing is saying is that people that are near retirement or retirees th think they know a whole lot more about so the ins and outs of Social Security, Medicare, and, and and financial planning than probably what they actually do. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. I think a lot of times we take um, advice from neighbors. We you know we, mm -hmm. we talk to people right? right. We're at a dinner party. You talk to somebody and they say, oh hey, you know yeah, do you take Social Security yet? Oh man, you've got to take it now. It's, it's going to be bankrupt, or you, know, yeah. you got to get every dollar you can out of it. You take it early, you're likely not going to be doing that. And, and so I think that where we get our information from is is also important, and not just in understanding that what may be good for one person may not be good for you, especially if you have longevity. I mean, there's so many things we can go into with each one of these these um, specific topics, Lance, mm -hmm. but. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, like six in 10 near retirees note their 401k or 403b plan offers advisory services through the plan. 47% of near retirees are equally likely to work with the advisor associated with their plans as with any other advisor. I think that's just easy, right? So that's what most people will do. But one in 20 retirees continue to work part time, most by mm -hmm. choice. Yeah. And... Most people retire sooner than they expected. Well, 37% retired sooner than expected. Only 6% retired later than expected. So we find this often, that somebody says, hey, here's my target date. Here's when I'm going to retire. I'm going to retire at 62. I'm going to retire at 65. And it is often well before that because of something that happens in the family. Maybe a death. There may be an illness. You're taking care of a, a parent, a loved one. I mean, we see that as one of the most frequently yep. things that happens where somebody does have to retire earlier. Yeah, we, the, 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 whole, the whole problem with the sandwich generation is becoming much more prevalent. Now. It is. As, as parents are living longer, kids are living at home, parents are stuck in the middle taking care of both. We have clients that, that are doing exactly that right now. They have a, a parent at home. They've got a child back at home, uh, maybe grandkids in the house as well. I mean, you're talking about multiple generations yeah. in one house, which used to see a lot more of that. Yeah. And, and I think you're probably going to see more of it as we, you know, as you look at those numbers you showed from your article on Friday. I mm -hmm. mean, if people aren't prepared, how are you going to do this? Well, I know. And that's why when my kids went to college, I took their house keys away. Good for you. <laughs> hey, my dad said when I graduated, he said, I don't care where you go. Just not back you just here. can't come here. <laughs> exactly. And, it was, and looking back, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. I was thinking about like my buddies who were saving money back at their parents' house. But I'm extremely grateful for it because... Yeah. It made me understand things pretty quickly. And I felt like I had a pretty good understanding already, but uh, he's like, no, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not an option. It's not an option in our house either. Uh, I do think it's interesting, though, you know, and again, when, when you start talking about, you know, we have very different ideas about retirement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like for me personally, I will never stop working simply because I can't imagine sitting around the house you know, nothing. look, I look, I you know, I can go play golf, but I mean, how many, how much golf are you going to play, right? I mean, you know, after a while, you know, I remember a story of my dad. So my dad worked for Dow Chemical for thirty years, 
and he retired from Dow Chemical, and and he had been he had been retired for about three months. And one day I called him and said, "Hey, Dad, just uh, call him to check up on you. How you're doing?" And he said, he said, "Well, he says I was standing here this morning, looking out the window, and decided to go back to work." And I go, well, why are you going back to work? He says, well, there was a stapler on the table. I was thinking about stapling my ear to my head, and I figured that was about time to go back to work. <laughs> and it's just, you know, my dad had my dad loved to fish, and he was going fishing every day. And it was great. It just it got boring after a while because yeah. he was by himself going fishing, you know, doing his thing. And, and he was like, I need to go be around people. I need to do things. And there is studies out that show that remaining active and in work of some sort, and again, it doesn't have to be a nine to five job. It can be part time, but being around other people, socializing, being mentally active um, helps you have a more healthy, structured retirement. And people tend to live happy. Their, their, their happiness tends to be higher than those that have retired and are just sitting around the house all day. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, we, we do find, in fact, we find that people that retire early and they're not social. They don't find that purpose, Lance, that mm -hmm. they, they, they actually, their mortality rates are much higher. Right. Just, you know, you're, you're sedentary, number one. Um, there's only so much TV or things that you can do. And if you don't have some type of built-in network, that can become a bigger issue. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I could see that. And I can see where I'm, we have a lot of people who, if they don't find a way to plug in somewhere, it retirement's not what they thought it was going to be. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to just be a barista at some point. I can envision that. <laughs> hey, here's a chart on your Exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a barista that hands out economic and investing advice to to young coffee. Hey drinkers. man, it's your new YouTube channel. Exactly. I, you know, that may be an idea. Yeah. We'll be right back after the break. <laughs> daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Nothing sinks a marriage quicker than money issues. This Valentine's Day, promise you'll respect your lover's credit, communicate about your money, and share together our first candid coffee for 2024. Five money habits of unhappy couples. Saturday, February 24th, Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will have money tips to help revive your financial harmony. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Five money habits of unhappy couples. Candid coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. Um, getting ready to wrap up the show as uh, futures are pointing, you know, decently higher this morning, as, as I talked about earlier. Um, you know, when you're in a, a roaring bull market like we are right now, where you have a lot of sentiment, a lot of fear of missing out, those type of things, uh, pullbacks are very short-lived. And yesterday was a good example of that. Very nice pullback yesterday, right to the 20-day moving average bounced off of it right at the close yesterday technically everything is still intact at this point markets are pointing nicely higher this morning so uh one day shock uh, on the cpi report and again uh you know not surprisingly people kind of saw through that cpi report yesterday saw that it was an anomaly in housing that gave you that inflation spike and so that'll that'll all get worked itself out 
And, and so markets already kind of working through that process. So again, you know, if you actually take a look at CPI itself, we're still at the lowest level in two and a half years, and it's declined, it's declined a lot from a year earlier. Um, it's just going to get a little bit more difficult uh, to go from 3% to 2% inflation than it did getting from 9% to 3%. So it's just, it's just a function of year-over-year comparisons. And that's just going to be a little bit more challenging now because instead of comparing this time last year where inflation was up 1.5% in a month, now we're talking about last year, the last time this year inflation was 0.2 versus 0.1. So those very small incremental changes are going to make it more difficult and, and not impossible at all and we'll get to towards two percent eventually but it's just going to take a lot longer to get there because we're talking about much smaller incremental changes in the rate of inflation over time so when you're talking about much longer you know are you talking six months are you talking a year two years. years two years yeah yeah so this is stickier years. than what most people anticipate like you anticipate getting stuck in this three percent range for a while yeah, like we yeah. have been yeah yeah no it's just, it's going to be we're not going to be stuck here at three it's going to be three two point nine 2.8, 2.9, yeah. you know, 2.8, 2.7, 2.8, 2.9. It's just going to be back and forth for a while. Um, and it's just going to be kind of a, a much slower grind, lower. Kind of a normal, what you would expect to see, kind of in a normal, slowing economic environment, because the economy is going to slow. So the economy will slow back towards 2% as all this stimulus spending is out and the Infrastructure Act is out and the Medic, you know, the, the CHIPS Act you know, rolls its way through. There's a lot of CHIPS money. It still even hit the market yet. I was actually having a conversation yesterday on this podcast I was doing. Um, she had uh, just been to California, and there's a lot of companies out there that are basically you put together a PowerPoint, you send it to the government, say, hey, we're going to build chips. They'll give you money. And these companies are not generating revenue, but they're getting money from the government through the CHIPS Act to build chips that will probably never get sold anywhere. But that's just the games that you can play with. The, and that's the problem with all these government spending bills that we do. It's like, oh, we're going to do an infrastructure act. And so everybody just submits proposals. They get money and the stuff never gets built or gets halfway built, you know, whatever. Um, but that's the problem that we don't have better oversight on these bills and the money that we spend, you know, we throw out billions of dollars. We don't even think, you know, if it's a billion, we used to be concerned about millions. Now billions are like left pocket change, right? We only get concerned about the trillion dollar bills, um, you know, but you know, it's just getting ridiculous, but we spend so much money on things we have no control over and there's so much waste and fraud and everything else. And we'll, and we're going to find out in a couple of years, just like with the, remember the whole PPP programs, mm -hmm. the payroll protection programs oh, that yeah. we had? How many people took advantage of it? Yeah, billions of dollars of fraud in that. Um, you know, so again, it's just, uh, even in the stimulus checks, billions of dollars of stimulus checks were fraudulently uh, taken by people that were just claiming benefits. So, but again, this is what happens because these things are thrown together in a rush. There's no oversight and there's no follow through. So, well, I think that's what we made right managing money off. difficult as well. Like on the on the yeah. YouTube channel just just a bit ago, somebody's asked like, well, what what about long duration bonds? Yep. You know, and and how do you manage that? I mean, the anticipation the market was saying, hey, we're going to have five or six cuts. We're going to start in March. Mm -hmm. Um, now that's, I think they went down. See me fed watch just this morning or yesterday. Was it like 10% versus like 86%? Yeah. It was like 50%. Then all of a sudden it was shot way, way up. And then all of a sudden it, it's been dropping like a rock. Yeah. And so now they're saying it's going to be June or mm -hmm. probably even more likely. I think the fed is indicating more like July, August, right? Yeah. It, it, Third probably, quarter. Yeah. I, I think, it, uh, I honestly, I don't think it's going to be till this, this is my opinion. Right. Um, but I don't think the fed's going to cut rates 
if they cut rates this year, it won't be until the second half of the year. Yeah. So. Well, and, you know, I think this is what it's a conundrum because everybody's anticipating that, okay, they go and they cut rates quickly. But why? What's the incentive here? Mm-hmm. And, and if they're doing so, that means that there's got to be some devastation in the economy. Well, that's what you would think. And this is this is this has been this has been the interesting conundrum. Yeah. Right. And so just set everything aside for a moment. Right. So why does the Fed cut rates? The Fed cuts rates to offset recessionary pressures in the mm-hmm. economy. OK, so for years we were stuck at zero. So the Fed had no ammo to offset any type of recessionary drop because they can't go negative. They, they can go to zero, but that's as far as they can go. Well, now you're at five and a half percent and you've got plenty of ammo in the gun to cut rates. So if everything and this is my opinion, so if I'm Fed Powell, I'm sitting there going, I'm not going to cut rates. Y'all are, you know, look, the economy's fine. We're rolling 3% a quarter right now on, on the economy. Um, you know, there's no credit stress in the markets. Yeah, regional banks are having a little bit of issues with commercial real estate. We can bail that out. We'll just give them another program. Um, but there's really no reason to be cutting rates at this, at this juncture. Let rates sit where they are, because if you let rates sit where they are, the housing market will continue to come down, which will make home affordability better. We did an article on this last Friday. Um, if you leave rates where they are, it is going to slow economic activity, which will pull some of that excess demand out of the market and get things back more towards a normal. It'll bring inflation down, right, back down towards that 2% level. And then once you get down to that level where things are starting to get where you want them, then you can say, okay, let's cut, let's pull some of that tightness out of the market, right? Let's ease the break a little bit here. Um, you know, let the housing market kind of recover a bit, let things stabilize. But again, even at that point, you still leave rates at two and a half or three percent. Yeah. Well, this is what's been so difficult too, because every time that you know, in the past, so so many months or years that there's been an issue, there's just been more stimulus. Right. And so that's the other thing that you have to fight, right? So mm-hmm. we're combating the Fed's behavior, but also them trying to execute a soft landing, which obviously is pretty right. difficult. But but that's why they have but, they already overshot. Well, no, this, this, look, that's why the Fed's going to cut rates. You know, despite the fact that, as I said, there's really no reason to cut rates, they're going to cut rates to offset any type of risk in the markets. They're trying to get ahead. They, they were behind the whole inflation curve, right? Now they want to get ahead of the disinflation curve. And they're going to try to get in there before there's a bank crisis, before there's any type of event. So th- that's the reason the Fed's going to start cutting rates. They want to ease monetary policy to try to get ahead of whatever tight monetary policy would have created, which, i.e., would be a recession. So they're trying to get ahead of it and keep the economy out of a recession by cutting rates sooner. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Which is not a great idea because, look, recessions are we're so scared of a recession. Right. But recessions are good. Right. We, we need recessions. They, they provide a lot of benefits. And look, people can't afford a house, right? A recession will cure some of that. It won't cure all of it. Yeah. But recessions are a good thing. Yes, they're painful. But the, the reason we have the financial problems we have is largely because we keep trying to avoid having these recessionary periods where you reset the excesses that occur in the markets. Well, that's the issue. I mean, that's, it appears the Fed has tried to take a recession out of the business cycle. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you just make it worse. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the eventual reversion to the mean gets more brutal when you delay that reversion longer than you should. You know, that's always that, that's this is an interesting deal, you know, in general. Right. So mm-hmm. they're trying to avoid a recession. 
But yet, for them to cut interest rates, they want job numbers to deteriorate. Yeah. But don't those two go hand in hand? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, people but, losing but, their jobs, right. recessionary pressures. Right. right, right. That's, you know, you lose your job, you reduce demand. Reduction of demand brings down inflation. Yeah. Right. So they, they want higher unemployment. They just don't want it to the level that creates, you know, a much deeper economic downturn. Yeah. And look, right now, nobody expects a recession. So, again, just ignore this whole conversation because <laughs> nobody expects a recession right now. Literally no one. No one expects a recession. So, Well, and, and that's, that's, I think, is what's troubling, right? Because mm-hmm. people do see the writing on the wall. We see the things that we all know about, the inverted yield curves, the leading economic index. We see more and more headlines of people being laid off. So I do think, in general, people are more cautious right now than historically you know, even going back over the last, you know, some odd couple of years, mm-hmm. people are becoming more and more cautious in this environment. So I do think that presents a whole other challenge. But like you mentioned, and like we've talked about many times, that when nobody expects something is usually when it occurs. Right. And we're not saying that that's what's going to happen right now. That's right. But, you know, you have to, this is why it's important to manage money, you know, in a, in a way that allows you to, you know, take some chips off the table add when necessary i think it, it but it also presents a lot more challenges yeah it does um so anyway getting ready to wrap up the show um michael Leibowitz's new articles on the website today talking is it's an interesting analysis on toyota versus tesla and it's interesting because toyota has been doing exceptionally well while tesla is not and he goes through a whole analysis on those two companies so if you're interested in automobiles and toyota versus tesla that's an interesting article he's got on the website today realinvestmentadvice.com in this weekend's newsletter we're going to go through the whole uh bond analysis with this recent run-up in rates we've been talking about how rates could get back to four and a quarter four and a half which would be our next buying opportunity for bonds and we're getting there um, so we'll kind of go through that analysis uh, this weekend in the newsletter. So make sure you're subscribed at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and uh, get the newsletter when it comes out this weekend. We'll email it to you. So anyway, have a great day. Happy Valentine's. Don't forget to uh, do what you need to do. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.